All right, so we are in Exodus uh, chapter 9, and uh, uh, Andy was talking when we got here this morning. He said, uh, he said, where are we starting? And I told him where we're starting. He said, he said uh, you know, have I missed all the plagues? You know, and I said, no, there's, there's still plenty of plagues to go around. Uh, 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 many of you got the little uh, chart that Dad handed out, and... Um, uh, we'll see if we can get some more of these uh, printed. Um, we are uh, we finished up boils uh, last week and started uh, it, talking a little bit about hail, so we're gonna we're gonna do that. And um, uh, this little chart is kind of helpful. So, uh, like I said, we'll try to print some more uh, and have them available uh, next time. So, Exodus uh, chapter nine, and we'll begin with verse thirteen. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Uh, this um, rise up early in the morning has started um, several sections of plagues. If you read through different commentaries, uh, uh, of course, Westerners being Westerners like to group things, categorize things, uh, organize things. Uh, at least some people like to organize things. Uh, I'm not one of them, but uh, they talk about uh, cycles of three. Uh, the tenth plague, of course, kind of having its own significance, its own place. So um, we're plague seven, eight, and nine we'll hopefully cover today. So the final three, and several of them start with this phrase, rise up early in the morning. Uh, so um, we have one of the longer um, kind of uh, discussions uh, where God uh, gives the information to Moses that Moses in relates to Pharaoh. Uh, there's some negotiation and the plague actually happens and so forth. So uh, this is one of the longer sections. Uh, and here we have, uh, uh, for not the first time, but, but certainly um, uh, an excellent example where God is saying, uh, in part, uh, why these plagues are happening. In verse 14, to read again, For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. So that's one of the purposes. And just in case you didn't know Pharaoh, um, I've actually been going easy on you. Verse 15. For by now, I could have put my hand out and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you had been cut off from the earth. In other words, I could have snuffed you out. <coughs> but, verse 16, for this purpose I've raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This was not just an Egypt thing. Word of this was going to reverberate all over the earth, Verse 17, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. And there's no, there's not much wiggle room here, right? I mean, it's just, okay, here's what's going to happen. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. About this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt 
from the day it was founded until now. Everyone have been in a hailstorm before? Um, they kind of, uh, you know, you, you kind of, uh, you talk about the hail in terms of the size of the hailstones, right, everybody? Oh, this was a uh, marble-sized hail. This was a uh, pea-sized hail. This was um, softball-sized hail, you know. Um, you can go on YouTube, not that you'd want to do this, but you can go on YouTube and you can search hailstorm, and uh, you'll be <coughs> greeted, first of all, with some punk rock band by the the name, but once you sort through that, you'll see videos of, of actual hail falling, and there's one where one of these baseball, softball-sized hailstones gets halfway through a windshield. I mean, not, not good. Anyway, this is a destructive thing, um, destructive thing. Verse 19, now... And this is kind of the first time you see this little bit of a kind of a warning that people have speculated why um, was this to maybe kind of splinter the coalition, you might say, between Pharaoh and his followers. Um, uh, you know, uh, rumors get out from the castle, right? And um, so... This might have been a way of the message getting out to uh, people outside of his court that, hey, we can kind of prepare for this one a little bit. Verse 19, now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So, here you have this opportunity that you could go and, and kind of protect yourself a little bit um, from this particular plague as kind of a... Um, this if you thought about it, kind of forced the Egyptians to start to make a little bit of a choice. Am I going to show solidarity with Pharaoh, who is thought to be a, at least the son of a god? We'll talk about that more in a minute. Or maybe I should, you know, we've had six plagues. It's kind of all worked out like the god of the Hebrews has said. This might be an opportunity to kind of move our livestock and get ready. Verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staffs toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. This is basic... I mean, this is heavenly artillery 
raining down. They talk about the different words that were used for the, the, the trees, um, uh, stripping the trees. Uh, some people say it's some, uh, it seemed like the best word is smashing the trees. Um, just shredding everything that's coming down. And to call back to this earlier verse, um, verse 14, where it says, I will send all my plagues on you yourself. One commentator said the Hebrew reads literally, I am about to send all my signs to your heart. The NIV says, I'm sending the full force of my wrath against you. Um, and this is evidence of that. Uh, there have been, you know, up until now, we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of damage and disruption, of course. But think about it. In an entire land, Everything that was growing at the time just pulverized. Everything that was outside destroyed. There aren't enough, there's no way there would have been enough barns to get all your livestock under shelter, right? I mean, just pulverized everything. And that's what happened. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Verse 27, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, now this is kind of new for Pharaoh, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. I and my people are in the wrong. <coughs> Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. We have a, at least a, a temporary change of heart here. Moses said to him, As soon as I've gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more, there will be no more hail. Now, the, those of you that have been in a hailstorm, it's not a quiet event, right? So even while this conversation is happening, even while Pharaoh is at least giving lip service to his repentance, it's got to be going bonkers outside. Thunder, lightning, fire coming down, and it's the lightning, and just lots and lots and lots of hail. No doubt the roof was already leaking. Moses, you know, you got the, you kind of got the idea in verse 29 that Moses isn't really in a hurry, right? He could have stretched out his hands right there, right? But he says, well, you know, as soon as I kind of mosey on outside of town, I'll stretch out my hands to the Lord. You know, he's, he's like, I'm not getting any hurry for you. And interestingly, speculating a little bit here, but so here's Moses in the midst of the hailstorm. He's going to have to walk out of the city and before he stretches out his hand. So I picture this little force field around him this little heavenly umbrella, as he walks through and no hailstones are hitting he and Aaron, that would have been interesting to see, right? This little bubble of no hail landing on them. Um, 
Makes you wonder if somebody would have wanted to come under there with them. I don't know. <laughs> Probably taking that too far. Verse 30. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. In other words, basically saying, you're lying. You're just lying to me, Pharaoh. And you're lying to God. I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. We have this little uh, note here in verse 31. It gives a little timing note. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. Uh, people who know these things say that, that the timing of the crops puts this in January or February. Verse 33. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hand to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of the servants, that I may show you these signs of mine among them. In other words, at this point, it's pretty clear to Moses, perhaps to Pharaoh, that this is way bigger than Pharaoh, that this is all about God wanting to show who he is and what he's in charge of. And now we hear this little bit of instruction that all of this is happening not just to show the power of God throughout the world to the pagans, but it's also for the people of Israel to have their own wake-up call. He says, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I've done among them that you may know that I'm the Lord. This is, this is something that you will be telling. And in fact, if you look at Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross as the event of the entire New Testament, what we are leading up to with the Exodus is the big event for all of the Old Testament. Everything that, if you boil Scripture down, you've got creation, you've got the redemption and the Exodus, and you've got Jesus. And those are the big things that happen um, throughout. So he's saying, you're going you're gonna to tell this to your children, your grandchildren. And that you may know that I am the Lord. We'll come back to that one. Verse 3. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, 
And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill in your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on the earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. If there's anything left, if there's anything left to eat, anything that sprouted up since the hailstorm, anything that's starting to make a recovery, if there's anything left, oh yeah, it's gone. It's it's going. Verse 7. So now Pharaoh's servants are getting, they've been hearing all this, they've been seeing all this. Uh, their loyalty is starting to wane in what is probably the biggest understatement. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve their Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? They're saying, you know, Pharaoh, look at what you're doing to our country. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. So he said for them. And he said to them, Go serve the, now, here we got the negotiation is happening. Go serve the Lord your God, but, but which ones are to go? Well, Moses wants there to be complete clarity about what he's asking. We will go with our young and our old, we will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that's what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. In other words, okay, I'll let the men go. That's not what God had demanded. So, verse 12, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land and all the hail, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his hand over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts has had never been seen before, nor ever will again. That's so many locusts. So many locusts. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. They ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Verse 16. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's hearts heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Uh, some people have noticed some parallels in the language there. This, the one wind blowing the locusts in and blowing the locusts out as being similar um, imagery to what is going to happen with the Red Sea. Uh, so just uh, recall that when we, when we get to that. So um, uh, some similar phrasing there. Uh, 
that uh, we may look back on. This, uh, this locus, um, I don't know. Uh, it's just hard to it's just hard to imagine. There have been plagues of locusts, of course, in various times of history, but this was uh, certainly, I guess, this is where you get the term of biblical proportions. You know, I mean, really, really big. Verse twenty-one. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt." Listen to this: a darkness to be felt. That's maybe one of the most poetic phrases I've come across in Scripture. A darkness to be felt. Have you ever been in the uh, Bad Cavern? I have, actually. That is a darkness that you can feel. That's true. Inside a cave. A darkness to be felt. That's That's just something. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven... And there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Three days of darkness. Light for the people of Israel. I mean, you guys could preach on that for a while. Interestingly, it looks like this darkness, um, it wasn't like uh, you could light a lamp. There was all of your own efforts as man throughout ages has you know, tried to make fire and light and so forth. None of that was working. People have speculated where the darkness came from. So people have said, well, maybe it was a big sandstorm. Um, I certainly think God's big enough to just flip the light switch to off. Probably a good time to mention um, throughout the plagues, kind of one of the big ideas is if you, you know, it's almost worth reading them and then reading them again with different focus. There is a much creation language in the plagues. The first Uh, evidence of God's rule and power in the process of creation was what? To deal with darkness and light, right? There was the creation of vegetation. There was the creation of the livestock. Um, All of that is under, was under his control then and is under his control now darkness that could be felt. Verse 24. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. (laughs) This is a desperate negotiation, right? I mean... (laughs) On what basis would Moses be, I mean, what does he have, I mean, anyway, it's just (laughs) silly. 
Um, yes, the people are still being held hostage, but Pharaoh's got to know where this is heading. He just has to know. Verse 25, but Moses says, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Is this specific enough for you, Pharaoh? Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses says, As you say, I will not see your face again. Um, certainly will not see his face again with any offer of mercy, for sure. couple things. Verse 26, for we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. That kind of hit me a little bit. Um, we are all in various ways on a bit of a journey. Uh, we don't always know what we're going to need tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now. We don't know what we're going to need to have with us. But we do know that our purpose, then as now, is going to be what? To serve the Lord, right? Whatever is going to be involved, they're going to serve the Lord. Um, I can't help but... But think that part of the reason, and we, we kind of got a hint of this actually, part of the, the reason for all, all the plagues was to unsettle the people of Israel. How long had they been there? 400 years. 50%, 40% longer than we've been in America. They were settled. They were settled. They had jobs. There were probably leather workers and blacksmiths and everybody had a trade, right? We know there were midwives. There were people teaching and telling history and there was organization. This was this was a in essence a, a country. And somehow, God is unsettling them as well. And over and over, we hear, what is the purpose for which God is unsettling them? Why, why does Moses keep asking they need to leave? Why do they want to go so bad? So they can go worship. So they can go serve the Lord. We, he said, we don't know what we're going to need, but we know it's going to involve some sacrifices. We're going to be worshiping there. We are, so the message, 
think about it if you're just like your average middle class Hebrew hearing about all this it's not really affecting you right you're hearing about boy there's big goings on down at the Nile you know Pharaoh there's a lot going on God's doing some stuff people are thinking what's that mean for me looks like God's getting us ready to move in fact that was one of the earlier messages remember Moses went to them first to tell them what's, here's what's happening this was they were getting ready to go so as you think about the plagues you know what's, what's the point if you, if you try to connect each plague to something happened in modern America or anything, that's, uh, you can't, you know, we're not going to, I don't think, get gnats or lice or whatever. I mean, that's, that's not how we apply this. The big idea that we are to apply was what God said was, Remember what I'm doing because it tells you something about me. Right? Why do we have the Bible? God's revelation of himself to us. Would we know much about God if, if you know? No. We would be as unenlightened as all the other people who have made up stuff about what they think God is like. We would be wandering around aimlessly blind to the truth we have this revelation of God because he tells us about himself so all of these plagues tell us something about God it's about the people but it's also he it's about God being in control of all of creation powerful God powerful God um, one commentator said what else do we learn about God depending on which side of the population you're on all of this was coming God was either going to be your savior or your judge right to the Egyptians he was going to be what judge Israel was going to be Savior. That's not very different, is it? Still the same God? Yep. Still the same God. On what basis do we relate to him? He's either going to be our Savior or our judge. Alright? See complete Savior? Yep. Any reason to think he won't be a complete judge? Nope. I had, I guess, parts of my brain had not fully connected to see the parallels between all of these plagues and all of the judgments that roll out in Revelation. A lot of similarities there. So, these plagues tell us about who God is. They tell us about who we are. 
One commentator says, The Israelites came to know God better by what he had done, and it is this knowledge that formed their basis for their morality. When our hearts and minds are imbued with a personal knowledge of our Creator, proper morality will follow. Our actions flow from who we are at our very core, and who we are is determined by whom we worship. Who we are is determined by whom we worship. Who we are is determined by whom we worship. If I'm fearful about what's going to happen to me at work, am I putting my faith in work or am I putting my faith in God? Who I am at that moment kind of tells me where I'm putting my faith. So, when we encounter these obstacles in life, of which there are many, we all have our own flavor of them, we all have our own amount of them, and it's more sometimes than others, but we have a Savior who is in charge of all those things in creation and wants to make it all right some of that we'll get to see on this earth, some of it in the new earth, but that's the God we serve and that's who our focus should be on. Exodus is about redemption and helping to put things aright that went off the rails back in Eden. A foreshadowing of what's gonna come with Jesus who came to put things aright that went off the rails back in the Garden of Eden. Same thing. You guys know this. Listen to this. Our redemption is a piece, albeit a large piece, of a puzzle that extends beyond our personal eternal state. It is about the restoration, the recreation of what was lost in the Garden. That is why salvation, whether deliverance from Egypt, or through the death and resurrection of Christ is often described in creation language. The coming of Christ recreates humanity and this recreation is part of a plan. Jesus came to inaugurate a new world order which he called the kingdom of God. It is an order in which all creation will eventually be restored to the glory of God that was intended at the beginning. Romans, there's a phrase that Paul uses that says creation waits for it to all be put back together. So if we feel out of sorts, we don't feel all put back together, the whole earth feels that way. But it's going to happen. Sometimes you just don't feel like you can do it justice. We better pray. Father, we thank you that we are included in this story of yours, that you are a powerful, powerful Savior that you care about what's going on with us and that we can trust you and that the reason we're here is for worship. Help us to worship you and by so doing, be changed into who you want us to really be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.